Hi there, Star Wars fans, and welcome to the Jedi Council podcast. Um, as always, we always say we'll see you next week, and then three months later, we turn up. So I'm glad to be said it's not just me here today, and I'm your host for the day, Mr. Contrary himself, Alistair Clark. But I'm joined by my brother in the force, Dave. Say hello, Dave. Hello, Dave. Dave, why is it taking us so long to get back on air? Oh, that's apathy. Apathy. Could it, could it be? I, I think it is apathy. And I think that's something we should definitely investigate as we go through this podcast. But let's start with something which I think for both of us turned into a bit of a surprise here. Um, at the beginning of this year, we, we reviewed the first High Republic book in quite some depth, and I remember that I was a little bit sceptical about it. In fact, I, I think I read half of it and gave up, um, <laughs> which will get into me doing that quite often with Star Wars these days later. Um, but uh, you enjoyed it, didn't you? The I first did. Book? I, did. I re- really, really enjoyed it. Um, Charles Saul was the author. Indeed. And then along came the second book, which was called The Rising Storm. That's what it's called by Kevin Scott. Yes. Light of the Jedi was the first one and Rising Storm was the second. And I have to say, I did read it. Um, I read it all. And? I found it difficult to begin with. But then I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was different. I thought it brought in some really cool concepts, some of them that we'd never seen before. It questions some of the norms and conventions we know of Star Wars and the Jedi. And I loved it. What do you say? I loved it. I loved it. Um, if it, Similar to you, I had a little bit of a slow start with it, but I think maybe for a different reason to you. For the, the original, as you said, the original book came out um, in January, um, something like January the 5th or something like that. And then the second one didn't come out till June, July time. And I think it, the first 50, 100 pages or so was me getting back into the characters and understanding who they were and their various different motivations and and all of that if that makes sense and I think that that just slowed me down as I first got into the book but once I got past that and everybody was established in my head again who they were and what they were it was just absolutely phenomenal loved it absolutely loved it Karen Scott has written a fantastic novel there not that Charles Sewell had done a a bad novel to start off with i think that was also a great novel i'm looking forward to volume three really looking forward to yeah, it me too and i think i think karen scott's background is more comic than novel necessarily and i'm not a great comic reader but i feel like that helped me for this book because it was painting pictures in my head constantly of what was going on you know when you're kind of reading a book and the words are forming a film or a picture in your head consistently you can see the characters you can see what they're doing i really felt that with this and i didn't with the first book and i struggled with that because that's how i read books you know it paints a picture in my head and i'm kind of seeing it as i'm reading it 
I don't know if that happens to you or if I'm just weird for that, but I really enjoyed what was being put in front of me and my imagination being let loose on it. Um, I I can see what you're saying with that. To to be fair, I mean, I've okay. I'm I'm I'll freely admit it. I'm 48 now, um, and I've been reading novels and and adventure novels, sci-fi novels, uh, fantasy novels, probably for the best part of probably since I was about 10. Probably slightly younger than that with with some, but I actually got into it probably when I was 10, 11 years old, and I've I've never looked back. And and I grew up reading authors such as Heinlein and Asimov and obviously Clark and, and people like that, Ursula Le Guin and um, David Edding, sorry, loads of different loads of different authors. And I would suggest that the books that are written today are different to the books that were written 40 years ago, 35, 40 years ago. I I, I understand what you're saying there in that. I think because we as consumers of novels today, we can visualise all these various different worlds with very small cues provided by the author because we watch TV and we've seen different worlds and we, we know what a jungle's like. If someone wants to describe a jungle, they don't have to go into the detail of it. You, you can immediately immerse yourself as soon as they say they're in a jungle type of environment or something like that. If someone says that they're on Arctic tundra, you can immediately visualize what that type of environment is. So you, you so your brain is triggered by small things. But I would suggest that Kevin Scott's writing is a little bit more of that descriptive mm. writing of, of novels of maybe 30, 40 years ago, where he provides a little bit more of the building blocks of what's going on, the visual cues, the smells or the sounds that just allows it maybe to be a little bit more immersive. Yeah, we're not going to do a typical review on this, and I'll explain that a bit more. But just to go into that point you make, Dave, you know, the idea of a world fair, for example, you're you're it's describing it, and you can see it, but you've never seen a planet like it in Star Wars in films. So you are forced to imagine in your head the transportation that he's describing, how they're getting to the different areas, what's happening in the zoo, what's happening in the archive, and I really loved that because I felt it. Sometimes for me in recent Star Wars, it's got a very Earth-like quality to it. You know, we've mentioned before when they mention things like, you know, God in terms of a religious figure in Star Wars. You know, I don't remember that happening pre-Disney, but it definitely happens now. Um, And to me, this brought back a sort of otherworldly concept where it wasn't spoon-fed to me and I had to think about it. And that made it really enjoyable for me. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. It, it, these feel like, unlike a lot of other Star Wars stuff that we consume, this is brand new to us. There's, yeah. there's no real ties. There's, there's, they allude to Master Yoda every now and again, but you never come across Master Yoda in any great detail. So it, it does feel like an entirely different area of Star Wars. And I love that. Absolutely love that. Me too. So what we're going to do is, because let's be honest, I read this book in early July. I think you read it late June, Dave. So 
we're a little bit behind the sort of instant reaction. But StarWars.com put out a really interesting article in August 2021 called Six Answers, The Rising Storm Delivers and Seven Questions It Raises. And so what I think we should do today, Dave, is is that we're not going to do every single question and answer, but I'm going to pick a few out and I think we should discuss them. How does that sound? I'm happy with that. Yeah, sounds like a good plan. Okay, awesome. So this is an answer that was delivered, which is Chancellor... I can't believe I'm going to have to say all these names. This is not going to end well for me. Chancellor, Lena Sows, Targans know how to kick, excuse the Americanism here, but. Yes. <laughs> when we were first introduced to the Chancellor's fearsome duo, Matari and Voru, we knew they were a force to be reckoned with. But it's not until chaos breaks out at the Republic Fair that we get to see the pair wreak havoc on Lena's enemies. We definitely wouldn't mind having them by our side in a fight. So kind of interesting that you've got this duo that you're introduced to. And all of a sudden, as I was saying, the Republic Fair, I thought was kind of an interesting concept to begin with. And the way that it was looking, it's there's an ostentatious element there's almost that patriotism that that we do see in the real world today you know by british america first all that kind of mantra and it it was interesting to to see the republic fair and and them after creating a satellite where making communications everywhere and trying to unify people they were doing it again through this fair what what did you think first of all of the fair concept and then seeing it all break down I, I thought it was clever because um, you, you you get on Earth, you do get these world fairs, don't you? And, and yeah, there's one happening con- in Dubai this year, I yeah. think. So, so the the concept isn't entirely like alien to us as an idea. But what what I do enjoy is the way that and and it was the Chancellor Lena So. It was her idea to to almost like show the unification of the Republic by showing all these different worlds working together and what they could accomplish together. And 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 I just thought it was such a. I'd love to go. I'd love to. Go. You know, if if Disney ever wanted to do a proper Galaxy's Edge, they should do the Republic Fair. Yes, that would be something. Where that you could experience all different worlds. I mean, that, I mean that's really interesting. You bring that up. Um, <laughs> tangent number one already, but um, as you may want to know, there was there was going to be a Star Wars. I say was going to be a Star Wars area in Disneyland Paris as part of their remodeling in Disney Studios, which was thought was going to be a lot like Galaxy's Edge and the same rides, but maybe on a slightly smaller scale. But there are rumours that because Galaxy's Edge hasn't quite hit the mark and because of the success of The Mandalorian, they were thinking of changing it. And and I think you're right. If, if you were really going to be progressive and, and interesting, you might want to do something like a fair because how much fun would that be to go to? Yeah, because you, 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 within the, the Republic Fair and the way it's positioned, you've got um, almost like an animal enclosure of wild beasts from across the, the, the Republic galaxy. And you, you could do things like that. So it's an animatronic zoo almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, River Cruise that they already have. So it'd just be 
Yes, and and yeah, oh, oh, we should work for Disney. We should come up with these ideas and just. Oh. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to work for Disney if I have to do Star Wars. I I would want to work for Disney if I got to do what fans want to do for Star Wars. Yeah, no, I I think I'd rather work on Marvel. <laughs> but, mm, I you, wish you get to produce Star better Wars. quality stuff. <laughs> I wish Star Wars emulated Marvel more sometimes. Oh, God, those were words that would never have come out of our mouth three or four years ago. No, 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 I would I would say that if, if you went back a decade, let's say, Star Wars was the progressive, Star Wars was something that Marvel could only ever aspire to be. And now Marvel, I think, as a cohesive, coherent um story universe yeah yeah it it is so much tighter so much tighter than star wars is these days and and it's a shame it's a shame i don't know why and i would say that links into our apathy around star wars of light i would say interesting innovative imaginative words that i don't particularly associate with star wars right now what the high republic is yes yes Yes, that That's is the true. thing. That's the thing. That is why I think the High Republic has captured both of us two. It's it's what we remember Star Wars was when we first got into Star Wars as children. Now, now I know that we we were what fifteen ish, twenty years maybe separates us in age, but we both got into Star Wars or came across Star Wars at a younger age, and it's that it's that novelness it's that uniqueness that star wars had back then that seems to have been mm, it's been eroded of recent years whereas the high republic is bringing that back in again i i applaud the high republic in so many ways and i just wish star wars had done this five six years ago rather than wasting it's time trying to recapture nostalgia by keep going back to the same characters. I, I actually personally find the making of Star Wars much more interesting than the actual Star Wars these days. So, like, I find the gallery more interesting than the Mandalorian. I find the making of the films much more interesting than the film itself. Half the time, because I'm scratching my head as how the heck they got to the solution or the storyline that they did, I want to know why. But um, that's another discussion, I guess. It is. It is. It's strange, isn't it? Because we've, we've agreed to do this this recording today on the basis that we, yeah, just. Oh. Shall we go on to the next point? Yes. Yeah. But just just to carry on that that point and and um, Lena Snow's pets. I would love those pets. Yeah two what six foot tall lion type creatures yep who wouldn't want a pet like that well my wife probably actually yeah i was gonna say i don't think i don't think my girlfriend would want them i think they shed a lot of hair Uh, well yeah possibly not every animal does (laughs) 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 when have you ever thought about that like does chewbacca shed hair does han solo have to 
follow him around with a vacuum cleaner consistently. I suppose they'd have a robot vacuum cleaner at that stage. Maybe, maybe they wouldn't. Well, I suppose if you've got a galaxy of of different species that are that are hairy. Yeah. I don't know. Do you I think in their <laughs> private time, Han Solo gives him a gives Chewbacca a good combing? <laughs> well, it's, it's Chewbacca's the owner, isn't he? Han Solo's the pet. So that's true. That's true. But then surely he's just commanding his pet to preen him. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Thought for the day. Tangent number seven. Um, <laughs> this is a poll that we put out there. Do Bookies Malt? <laughs> Know what I might do that now while we're talking. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to do that, but I'm going to ask you a question first, Dave. Okay. Oh goodness me, here we go. The Togruta have a unique and tenuous relationship with the Republic. While we've been introduced to the Montreal adorned species and characters like Shakti and Ahsoka Tano, it's not until the Rising Storm that we get a glimpse into their unique culture. The dwellers don't immediately buy into Chancellor So's vision for the Republic, but after the events of the Republic Fair, it's safe to say they're on her side. Dave, discuss. Yeah, right, okay. Well, we've come across Tadruta a few times now, because as as the the point raises, you've got Ahsoka and you've also got Shakti. We we also saw in the Clone Wars, we saw um, some of... um, Ahsoka's people on a colony who'd been kidnapped by the slavers um and so Ahsoka and um um Anakin and Obi-Wan seek out to rescue them from the slavers um and that to be honest was a great story art that that to be fair um the one where um Anakin and Obi-Wan portray themselves as slavers to try and get into the the, the slavers' planet and, and what have you. It was a great story. Out. But anyway, um, so we, we did see the Togrutas in that, and they were a very peaceful people, um, almost fearful of, of causing strife and, and what have you, whereas the Togruta that we see in The Rising Storm are... Of, very different, very much more assertive people, um, almost, almost borderline warlike as a as a as a type of people, um, and prepared to flex muscles and and to stand on their own feet. The, the, they they initially start off the the book being reluctant to being part of the the republic. Um, their queen was willing to um to discuss a possibility of being an ally to the republic and she seemed to be quite progressive within her people because her people are are not and are almost looking to to remain aloof and independent of the republic they see the republic as as a, a a potential threat to their sovereignty and their way of doing things um and, and in a way, that's one of the um, goals that the um, oh the 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 villains of the story are looking to try and exploit. They're looking to try and drive that wedge between the Republic and the Togruta by attacking the the, the fair, the Republic fair. So um, 
Yeah, we, we have come across them before, but I think this is the first time we see them the way that they're portrayed in this book as, as being quite an assertive and strong people. And I, I like them. I did like them. Yeah, I did too. I think they're, they are kind of interesting, aren't they? Because they're, at this stage, a very familiar species because of Ahsoka. And yet we don't really know that much about them from their past, really. And I think this is kind of an interesting dynamic that, that this book is, is bringing in. And, and I know I am the one who always says, well, I don't need to know how that happened. That is what I say quite a lot. I do know that. But it's not the main story. It's a subplot of this story. And I find that really interesting. Have you? Sorry. One, one thing that you do... Because the way the Republic was, and because the way that the Empire was, you didn't really see other cultures. They they were almost it was a monoculture. It was the Republic. It was the 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 Empire. So to see an independent um, entity that that isn't part of the Republic, it, it was something interesting. It was something different. Again, it's what we're saying. The, these books. We're introducing concepts that we've not seen in Star Wars for a while, if ever. Agreed. Now, Dave, you'll be very happy to know that I have actually started running that poll. On uh, the two Wookiees, Mort Stroke shed their hair. And already I'm glad to let you know that 60% of our five votes say yes. <laughs> one say no, and one says, why is this a question? <laughs> I'm going to keep people updated by the end of this podcast so you know how it's going. Uh, so, yeah, Dave, please go on there and obviously click yes, because it's the correct answer. Um, OK, so let's get into an interesting one, which is that the Jedi do, in fact, form attachments. The Jedi of the prequels preach against attachments, but in Jedi of the High Republic seem to think of things a little differently. Whether it's Elza Man's deep connection to Avar Chris and his, quote, fiery relationship with Republic Fair organiser Samira Rahoon, or Stellan Geos' heartbreaking, hollow vid-worthy scene cradling Chancellor So's injured body. The Jedi of old care very deeply, and they're not so afraid to show it. What say you, Dave? Yeah, okay, well, um, I've just voted um, that Wookiees do malt. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, yes, it it is it is quite a strange one this because the what we've seen previously uh, and I oh right okay because you've got a couple of concepts here because if you go all the way back to the way that Star Wars was let's say pre nineteen ninety nine with Attack of the Clones so you've got um, Luke Leia. Um, Han and and what have you. Now, George Lucas was very much a case of these children's films, and it's a you, and all you ever see at most within the movies themselves is is the odd kiss, um, and and that's about all you ever see. But then the novels, such as the the Thrawn, the, the original Thrawn trilogy by uh, Timothy Zahn, that introduced some other concepts because it introduced um, Mara, um, Mara, Mara, Mara Jade, who was 
who who was originally the emperor's hand so she was an assassin um force sensitive um ultimately she became luke's wife and they had children um so the novels it had introduced prior to phantom menace the concept that a jedi could have attachments could have a relationship they weren't this um monastic society um now that whether that was the fact that luke had not really grown up with the monastic idea um could have led him down the path of not realizing it was something that had been shunned by the jedi um but I think it was more about the fact that it had not been codified, if that makes sense, than because the, the the films had not come out at that point. There wasn't this this idea that um, Jedi live almost as monks. Um, and then you flip forward to the 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 prequel trilogy, which introduces the Jedi Order in, the, in all its glory, and this is what the Jedi stood for, and this is how the Jedi are, and the Jedi form no attachments. Um, and now we've got this idea that 200 years previously, Jedi were allowed to have liaisons. Were they allowed, though? Because he does seem to... We're obviously talking about... Um, we're talking about Elsa Man here and his fiery relationship. Yeah. He, he does seem to not be allowed. I, I don't know... I don't know if it's not allowed. I think it causes eyebrows to be raised. I think that it's more that than the fact that he is censured when it becomes apparent that he has been having liaisons. Um, because the, the Jedi closest to him ultimately are able to recognise that that there was something. Um, but they don't censure him. They don't say, right, OK, 20 Hail Marys and you're sticking your room for the next 10 days. There's just none of that. It was more a case of a raised eyebrow. Is that a wise decision type of thing? So so I think the, and, and similarly, you've got the attachment that the the newly well, I, is not it's not quite a Padawan, not quite a Jedi, um, who's got who's got the dog, the uh, the fire dog. Um, he has the attachment with his dog. Is it Shard his dog? So he has the attachment to his dog. Ember. Ember. That was it. Sorry. It's a yeah. Charhound, though. So, Char- there. Um, so so he has his attachment to the dog. And he also had an attachment to Loden Greatstorm, who was his Jedi master um, prior to him, what they thought he'd, he'd been killed, um, whereas he was just kidnapped. But so he he obviously formed attachments to the people he was closest to. So I'm not I'm not certain it was. I, th- I think I think there's there's a leaning that the Jedi were meant to be I'm trying, I'm trying to think of, the way it's been positioned previously was almost a case of the Jedi don't form attachments because attachments mean that you can fear for that person which mm. was then highlighted by the way that Anakin because he, he he fell to the dark side because of his fear of losing people it was his attachments that were ultimately his downfall and the downfall of the Jedi Order as a whole 
Um, I'd say it's a but, major plot point in ep- in episode six. You know, when Yoda, you know, I, it, it was the crystallization of what Yoda had been saying about you know attachment leads to the dark side, effectively yeah. through various mechanisms. But then we've also seen in the Clone War cartoon season seven um, that Obi Wan was aware that Anakin and Padme were more than just friends. Doesn't count. It's after two thousand and five. <laughs> yes, but what? Yeah, okay. But what I'm what I'm implying by that is that there is this movement within Lucasfilm today that those attachments were not quite as taboo. Yeah, I mean, and then also you've got Obi Wan with with the Duchess as well. Yes, um, true. Yes. So and that was so, that was done under Luke, uh, George Lucas's oversight uh, yes i'm not sure if he was attached to the clone wars at that stage as he had been but, but, but he was still the owner and yes. um of lucasfilm when when the earlier seasons when um satine was in the clone wars yes no agreed agreed do you agree with that? He, he could have vetoed it if that was something that was, no, no, we're not going anywhere near that. Yeah. No, I think that's that's fair enough. I think it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's an area where, I don't know, it's kind of unfamiliar and uncomfortable territory for Star Wars in some senses, because it's it's not, what we've seen in the films previously, in my view, you know, that that old saying that the kiss in Star Wars is as good as a liaison, as they put it, seen elsewhere. Um, and I was kind of content with that in Star Wars. I don't I don't know if we need it, but well, it's to be a bit prudish, I guess. Yeah, well, well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think that the idea that Star Wars originally is always the original movies were you, whereas today, the Star Wars were at least PG. They're, they're 12s, usually 12 A's. So there is a there is an aging up of what the story is and where the story is targeted to some extent. Um, and and just just while we're on like the the wider novels, so the, the the High Republic as a whole encompasses more than just the the Keystone novels that we're, we're talking about today. They also include some junior novels that are um, produced by. Um, Disney publishing as opposed to Del Rey and they also encompass comics published by Marvel and I was just going to say one one of the junior novels that um, I had read which I'm trying to think I think it was Into the Dark by Claudia Gray yeah I'm fairly certain it was Into the Dark and that was a young adult novel very good. Again, an, another great novel that I've really enjoyed that ties into um, the wider High Republic. But there was there was an alluding to relationships because there's um, a, a teenage Padawan male and a teenage um, standard human, for, for want of a better word. And she, she, there is a conversation between the two of them that talks about sexual relationships. And I did think at the time, like, oh, young adult novel, and it's in here. Wow. What did you do? Um, I went, oh. <laughs> Just wanted to hear that again. <laughs> and it, it was it was that type of moment. It was a, oh, 
because you don't you don't get that in Star Wars generally if that makes sense so yeah. for it to appear in a young adult novel and then and then for it to then appear in the main uh, as i said keystone um trilogy that that's that's the main thread for this um yeah i, I i'm still unsure about it it's a strange one yeah i don't know i'm not like i kind of liked it in this book it was a bit mills and boom, you know, I was on a cruise ship when I read it and I, I think people would not have believed that, well, obviously I was the coolest person on the cruise ship with a Star Wars book, let's let that be said. But <laughs> apart from that, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't believe what I was reading uh, because it's, it's not normally associated with Star Wars. But um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's an interesting angle, isn't it? And that's all I'm looking for. I'm looking for interesting angles. Mm, yeah. It was good plot, a very good plot device, um, yeah. and and it was well done. And how it was put into the book, it didn't, it didn't cause a problem with the book, if that makes sense. Yeah, it didn't feel out of place. No, no. Like I think sometimes just it, was the, it was who the characters were that made it unusual. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I yeah, I think that's 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 a really good way of of thinking about it. And talking of interesting plot devices, let's move on to this. Um, What is the leveller? So, it's a scary, beastly thing that has devastating consequences for Loden and Bell. Spoiler. But what actually is it? What is the leveller? So, the author um, is is tight-lipped about this at the moment, and any further details, but it's safe to assume this isn't the last time we've seen of this Jedi killing nightmare. Ooh. Dave, I really liked the journey to find the leveller. I thought that was really cool. It was. It was. Mm. So, the, so there was this kind of using, I don't remember the character's name, you might, Dave, but using their ability to use the Force, much in the ways we've seen in the recent Thrawn novels of a um skywalker and this individual was able to locate through caverns and and with with this guide with them this great leveler um i still don't know what it is i don't really have any preconceptions of what it is but i thought the journey to how they discovered it and then at the end how they unleashed it i thought it was really done well i agree I agree. Um, I'm trying to think in wider things what there is that that could equal it, if that makes sense. Or, or oh, I'm within the um, oh old Republic games, Knights of the Old Republic, Kotor. Um, there was, I think it was a side. There was side quests for. So it was like the the um, Knights of the Old Republic one and two. Um, you had like different side quests where you would go off and do things, and there was these creatures. I'm trying to think what they were called now that were attracted to Force users and would hunt Force users. Um, 
And they tended to be found in places that were were rich in the force or where there was a force presence. Um, and they were almost like something similar to like a small version of a, of a rancor, if, if memory serves me. Um, and I don't know, I don't know, but, but then there was, there's almost like this, whatever this leveler is, it almost projects fear and, and something into its prey. Is, is that what we call the, the Jedi? Yeah, I'd say so. I, I, I felt it was almost like, and I haven't read the comics, but I know of this particular series. You know how there was a Sith helmet? which contained the essence of a previous Sith Lord that guides Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. Yep. I felt like it was almost like a Sith artifact in some way, you know, something that contained a mysterious power that could reach out from within and cause all kinds of chaos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but... the reason I thought that was because, and we'll get on to it, there was a late lightsaber disabling machine. So the I didn't what? think it was technology based or uh, it, I don't see why they would be too similar. So it felt to me like it was something old and powerful. Yeah, it, for, for me, it, it felt like it was something living mm. rather than rather than a machine or, or technology. Mm. Because we've seen um, in Rebels, you know, when the Sith temple became a weapon in itself? Yes. Where they used, um, I can't remember how they activated it, but I remember Ezra and Darth Maul activating it, and that's where we had the showdown between Ahsoka and... Um, between Ahsoka and Darth Vader, uh, it was that episode, I think. But that's why it makes me think there's 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 more to these mysterious artifacts out there than we've previously been made aware of. Yeah, I I don't know. I honestly don't know because it was almost like it was um, whatever it was, like it swept along, and that, that's why I'm almost thinking it was living in some way. It was almost like unleashed the way it was like phrased. Yeah. Isn't it interesting though? This this is good Star Wars because we've both read it and we both have slightly different interpretations. Which yes. means that we're guessing and we're not sure. And right. there's room for discussion and doubt. I love that. I think that's brilliant <laughs> that we're able to have that again. But I suppose in a way though, that's that's because it's a novel rather than it it it's and and it's one of the things I love about novels, the fact that when you watch something, you know exactly what it looks like. Whereas a, an author and a good author, such as as Kevin Scott with this this novel, a very good author is able to disguise exactly what something is by only giving away enough so that you fear it, mm. you know it's deadly, you know it's dangerous, but you don't know what it is. Mm. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. That's great. I think I think it's I think mean, I think it's great. And and the other thing about the leveler, which I think is a a danger, but I think they're gonna. I have trust in the way that this is going. Is that if it is this ultimate power, is that how was it not around in the emperor's hands? 
so something has to happen to this leveler, which I think is quite an interesting story in itself that has to happen. Otherwise, they're creating something for themselves, which is going to be hard to answer. But yeah, but then you, you've, there's a couple of other things that, that link into that as well, because you've, you've not really come across it in the novels, in the main novels, but there's also these creatures called the Drengir. Um, Go on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so there's there's a there's a brief mention of them within the novel, in that the the Jedi are fighting this enemy, and that's that's why the the Jedi are a little bit stretched, because they're combating this Drengir on multiple fronts. But there's also um, at the very end of the novel, there's a mention that. Um, the spores of the Drengir had been laced around the park, and so there was a, a an active um, task force put together to destroy the spores before they grew. And these these Drengir are almost like a tree-like creatures that seem to be immune to the force, uh, and and they appear again. They appear. In the young adult novel that I'd read, the um, the the Into the Dark by uh, Claudia Gray, um, and that's the first time you come across them. But then they're also in the comic books um, that Kevin Scott's writing for Marvel at the moment. So they're appearing across there. I'm assuming at some point they'll become a little bit more of a feature, maybe of the main novel as well. Interesting. So they they don't exist by the time of the Republic that we've seen and the Empire. This is the danger, isn't it? Like, it, I'm not worried about it. I, the, I have trust in these books for now. But that's the danger with these big concepts, isn't it? <laughs> there is. What what happens to them? Where do they go? The, 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 I think for me, the, the bigger worry... And we said this before, it's like it's only 200 years before what what happened in The Phantom Menace. And when you've got um, a galactic republic that's lasted for thousands of years, and you've got species that lived 900 years or 300 years, 200 years is no time at all. No, it's, it's, all. it's, it's within living history um, of quite a few species. Um, and I would suggest that even humans in a, a society as high tech as Star Wars, you've probably got humans who are in in good positions, positions of authority or positions of wealth. They're going to live well past 100. Possibly there will be life enhancements, rejuvenant treatments, um, um, cybernetic enhancements that would allow a person to potentially extend their life for 100 plus years 200 years maybe so you see so you, you pull that together and you think mm, is the high republic just a little bit too close in time mm. to what we've already been aware of yeah no yeah yeah i, I completely agree and actually so the next point nicely ties into that which is what's up with the lightsaber disabling machine because that's something you think 200 years later they might still be using yeah so um one of the rising storm subplots revolves around a mysterious engineer and her cobbled together and very dangerous contraption that when turned on reduces lightsabers to fancy flashlight handles 
Only time will tell if this will pose yet another hurdle for the Jedi of the High Republic to overcome. It just feels to me like if that technology is out of the bag, mm. someone would have it 200 years later. But let's ignore that for a second. Um, someone fighting against a, an army of Jedi. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You mean like a droid army, maybe? Yeah. 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 <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Anyway, um, I I really liked this subplot storyline for several reasons. Um, I liked the revelation of what the because it's not really a weapon described as that. It's described as sort of more of a technology until the reveal but also i like the journey of it getting to the fair and i like the sort of turn that happens um after it's unleashed and 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 the um fair sort of descends into chaos i thought it was a really clever subplot what did you think it was because it also introduced some great new characters um like the 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 ex-Padawan by the sound of it who as as she's almost like strayed down the grey Jedi path she she reminded me a lot of Rebels Ahsoka I think she's a little bit more more amoral yeah well she is but then she always asks that question doesn't she yeah who am I helping yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I think it's what could have happened to Ahsoka, but didn't. Mm, yeah, I'd, I don't know. I'd, I, and I don't know where they're going to go with Because if in some ways, for me, she reminds me a little bit of Asajj Ventress. Yeah, I can see that one as well, actually. Yeah, yeah. Without yes. quite turning to the dark side. Yes, yeah. Yeah, whereas Asajj had gone further. Yeah. Uh, but they both have redemption arcs as well, don't they? They do. They do. The, the novel... Um, she teams that, up with the Jedi. And yes. there's also some weird chemistry, because this is the previously mentioned liaison Jedi. There's yeah. some chemistry going on between those two as well. There is, yes. She ends up in a relationship um, which pulls a Jedi into her sphere of influence. Yeah. Strangely. That's a great novel. It is a really good novel. And yeah. it was it was meant to be written initially as an arc um, for um, Star Wars, for, for the Clone Wars, that was ultimately never used. Or, or I think Clone Wars was canned before it could be used. But to, if that could ever have actually been put onto onto screen, I think that would have been fantastic. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Back to Rising Storm. Yeah. This machine. Do you think it's a welcome weapon, one that reduces the Jedi in such a dramatic way? I don't know. I don't know what the plan with that is going to be now. Because it doesn't just take down um, laser swords. No, it's so, energy sources, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So it also dampens blasters. So so it's 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 a danger to everybody, especially when you consider that a Jedi still has the Force. He's still able to um, push, pull, crush, lift. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, 
I suppose it means that everyone would go back to sword fighting, so you'd back the Jedi in that. You would. And crossbows. <laughs> Wookies. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, maybe that's where the Wookiee bowcaster came from. Maybe. <laughs> well, I like it. It's, it's a good. It's a good plot line. And then, um, just want to bring in what about Marie Santeca? Now we've heard the Santeca name before, but um, we first met her in Light of the Jedi, where she's referenced several times. Um, but she remains quite a mystery in this for a little bit. And but now that some of the Nihal know that, um, oh no, I can't pronounce his name. Markion, Marchion. March, Marchion, yeah, Marchion, Markian, Markin. I don't know. Isn't in fact the gatekeeper of the paths. Mari is. He's sure to have a pivotal role to play in the future High Republic stories. Um, yeah, interesting character. This. Yes, she's she's able to sense um, paths through hyperspace. Yeah. But it makes you wonder, is it a particular species she's a part of? It it does almost seem like she's it's not just a skill that she's got and it's a skill that that is linked to her background in some way, her parents or a family or something. Yeah. Yeah. Because are we back to bloodlines here in Star Wars? Maybe. Well, uh, I'm hoping not. Um, be, because there are, there are other characters that also share that name in this book. in Well, not this book, but the previous novel. When... When the hyperspace disaster happened, there was, I'm sure there were Santecans who were consulted by the Jedi for ideas around what might have caused it or how it happened. And I got a distinct feeling that they were related to her because they knew more than they were giving away. Yeah. Yeah. Because, so, so just to go back to one thing, do you the reason I bring up Bradline as well is because do you think she's related to Lawson Tecker, who we meet in The Force Awakens? And yeah, I knew I knew that's where you were going with that. Um I don't know, it's a small universe, isn't it, if you live in oh, Star Wars? <laughs> we'll probably find out that. Um you know the the Wookiee um Jedi Bur Burie, Burie? The yeah. one who feels a lot. Yes, yes. He'll be he'll be um Chewie's brother, so yeah, oh, no, doubt. no doubt. Makes sense. Why not? Chewie's child. Possibly a little bit too old for that. I, I, I'm, I'm edging towards brother. They're about the same. It might even be his twin. Oh, God. <laughs> if it wasn't a cartoon, that would definitely happen. That would definitely happen if it was a cartoon. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I think that's an interesting... St- See, there's so many interesting bits about this book um but let's go to the final question which is how will the republic recover from the republic fair disaster the massacre at the republic fair will be an event not soon forgotten it showed the hubris of the republic and by proxy chancellor so herself but it also shed some light on the fallibility of the republic jedi they can't actually save the day all the time the great disaster of Light of the Jedi may have sparked events of the High Republic, but it seems the Republic Fair disaster is the 
is the fire that or smoke that flames I don't know what the flame flames. But basically it's the disaster is what Yeah, funds the flames. Thank you, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. That is exactly yeah. what I'm looking for. Dave. Yeah. And I, yeah, I can I can see that because the, the, previously the Jedi are, are held as what they are. And again, <laughs> for me, not to harp on, it's too soon. It's too close to the the um, Phantom Menace here. Yeah. Because because you've had this dent in people's confidence in what the Jedi stand for and how effective the Jedi are and how powerful the Jedi are. Because this happened under their watch, so to speak. Yeah, it seems hard to believe that Coruscant is the way that it is after they've gone through this disaster. Yes. And and if it had been 5,000, 2,000 years before um, what we see in The Phantom Menace, that, that would give, again, that would give the Jedi long enough for the the mental wounds to heal in the population for them to get back into this belief that the jedi are immovable rocks that will always protect the republic um whereas you've you've got this again within living history of of the jedi failing in their their role as protectors uh, they drove off the the villains, but yeah, that's a really good point because when I first sort of thought about the High Republic era, I thought we were going to see the Jedi at their absolute best, and yet they seem to keep being defeated. Well, but again, I guess I guess that's the nature of what the Jedi are because you, you've got this idea that the Jedi were protectors, were police, were diplomats. They were never warriors. That wasn't the way that they were were meant to be. And that was something that was, even though they carry a lightsaber, which is a, by definition a weapon, um, they were always portrayed as protectors of the weak, as defenders of the innocent rather than as protagonists and, and, and warriors, if that makes sense. So. But that, that role, I think you see Anakin questioning it, but you do see that being questioned in this book as well, openly about what is the role of the Jedi? Yes. Yes. And how are they linked to the Republic? Yeah. And what is their purpose? Is it to be warriors? Is it to protect? How should you use the force? You know, um, there's there's the incident where um, Elsa effectively touches the dark side, much like we saw Ray do. Um, And, you know, he's kind of really ashamed of it and worried if any of the other Jedi could sense it. Yeah. But he touches it quite deeply, though. Yeah. Because it allows him to draw upon that to to give him strength. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think I think we can leave unless you've got anything else you really want to talk about this book any further. But I think all in all, really excited for the future of this series. Really enjoyed this book. Really want Kevin Scott to do more Star Wars. That would be my takeaway. Yeah. No, I agree. Well, he's he's done a few things. Um, he also does other novels. I've noticed my son um, 
is a massive Warhammer 40,000 fan. Um, and we we went over summer, we went down to Warhammer World in Nottingham in the UK. And they've got loads of novels and books there that are all linked to the Warhammer um, universe. And Kevin Scott, he, he must have had five or six novels that were all together, that were all his. They were all, I think they were young adult ones. Um, so yeah, he's, he's quite, he's, he's more of a prolific author than I thought he was, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I'm just, I'm in a rare, <laughs> can't believe I'm saying that, but in a rare show of fascination and interest, I'm going to say this is exactly what I want Star Wars to be. It's exactly what I want it to be. And I know I have no right to say what I want it to be. It is what it is. But this is really good. Really, really good. And I can't wait for the next book. I agree. I agree totally. And the next book is due out soon. So it's it's um, the next one, I think, is by Claudia Gray. Um, volume three if you give me one second we've had um, an email actually from our friends at del rey who've reached out to us just to let us know what's what's coming uh, so to speak so the third volume in the the trilogy well i don't, I don't know if it is a trilogy or not. i don't know if it's if it's because it's just it's just the fault uh, the high republic book three doesn't imply that it's a trilogy um so the book is the fallen star and it's by claudia gray and it comes out on the 4th of january 2022 so almost exactly a year after volume one or book one um and it says um in this gripping sequel to star wars the rising storm the jedi the light of the jedi faces its darkest hour mm. which is very intriguing i think so because i've had a few Yes, it doesn't have a cover yet, neither. The cover hasn't been finalised, so all we've been given is just a blank black. I'm not even sure if we're allowed to say that or not. I'm not sure if that's widely out there, but we've said it. So um, you heard it here first, maybe, or not. I don't know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Heard it here first. But yes, yes, the fallen star. So is that is that the Jedi themselves? Is that starlight beacon? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Oh, love it. Love it. So many possibilities. I, I am so looking forward to this story carrying on. I, I have not been this enthusiastic about Star Wars for a, a short while, to be fair. I, um, it's, it's not grabbed me as much as it could do in the last couple of years. Um. And these novels are really what, for me, what Star Wars is and what Star Wars can be and what Star Wars should be. 100%. But I know what listeners are really wanting to know about this live poll that would have finished by the time they get to listen to this. <laughs> In this gripping poll, which so far 25 people, you can't believe it either, 25 people have responded to. We are now up to 48% of these 25 people say yes, Wookiees, Mount or Shed here. 32% say no, and 20% say why is this a question? I'm quite glad because a minute ago it was about 33% for everything. So uh, I knew, I knew because the answer is clearly yes, that our followers would see this and uh, realise that Wookiees do shed hair. 
I'll keep you updated on this. But yeah, uh, there's more that that begs more questions. And what happens to the hair? Do they, do they reckon that they have filtration systems on on spaceships to try and stop the hair getting everywhere? It's a robot Hoover droid. I, I'm I'm sure it's a Roomba. <laughs> It's a robot who rejoined. That's exactly what it is. But from the good to the stupid to the... I'm expecting Dave and I to have different opinions on this. So I don't really want to go into detail on the Bad Batch to a huge degree because I really want to hear what Alex, Mera and Justin want to to comment about it. Um, Because also we did a few shows at the beginning um, came a little bit harder to keep them up but i i feel like we need to have a proper jedi council discussion about that but i think we can have some high level thoughts about this um i'm gonna confess something i didn't finish it mm-hmm. i got so annoyed by it so fed up by it so utterly dismayed by it that i gave up when hera appeared halfway through the first episode that Hera appeared I as you know I often say this Darth Maul is in everything and I find that irritating and I just seen this character of the week doing a story that leads to nowhere not bringing the Bad Batch storyline any further along I'd had it and yes I have read about it I've listened to other people's podcasts but I've not watched it I, I had coronavirus last week. I had five days off work. I was looking for something to watch. My finger hovered above the button on Disney Plus, And I thought, no, I'm not putting myself through even worse pain than coronavirus. I'm not doing it. <laughs> coronavirus is very painful, by the way. But I'm not doing that. Dave, you did finish it. Mm-hmm. Did you like it? Did, you, did, did I mishear you? Did you say when Ahsoka appeared in it? No, Hera. Hera, sorry, sorry, yes, apologies. Um, yes, Hera. Um, I did finish it. I did watch it all the way through to the end. Yeah. The ending was very good, and I enjoyed it. Um, the middle was, let's see who's guest star of the week this week, and and that sort of became a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Mm, everyone's playing in the same garden again. So, so if they'd done episode one and two, and then the two last episodes, there were 16 episodes in the series, I believe, do you think they could have skipped all the bit in the middle and it would have just made the same amount of sense? Well, I had issues with episode one because, um, and, and this is a wider conversation that we've had previously about yeah. continuity in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. The fact that Kanan's background is now different to Kanan's background in Kanan, the comic book series, which, as far as Star Wars is concerned, we were told is canon. We were told that that comic book series was canon. And that the story arc in the comic book was fantastic because it, 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 it not only showed the grief and everything that Kanan went through, but it also had stories that link back to the way that the clones themselves went through what order 66 was and how it affected them. It, it was a very clever arc, um, a great set of comics that I recommend anybody reads. However, Bad Batch completely turned that on its head and Kanan's story was completely different. I say completely different, but it, it was different enough. 
So, I think for a, for a full discussion of that, can I encourage people to go back and listen to our previous podcasts? Because we did go into that in quite a lot of detail. And I think it's worth a listen to. Um, but that annoyed me. And 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 in some ways that set set a tone for the bad batch that that I didn't want. Um, yeah, and uh, the middle of of the bad batch, I I almost got a vibe of the A team for a while, and I didn't mind that actually. I quite enjoyed the idea that they were almost like mercenaries for hire, but they were mercenaries with a heart, and so they'd do the right thing, and so they they would always be on the side of the the downtrodden rather than choosing to work for the bully themselves. And I liked that, and that that was really positive. What what detracted from stories was the the way that. And, and it's Dave Filoni that's doing it, so I'm blaming Dave Filoni for this. The fact that he kept trying to tie into every other corner of Star Wars. I'm surprised Darth Maul wasn't in this, to be fair. Um, he was probably the only character who wasn't. Yeah, there's a season two, mate. There is a season two, and I'm certain that we'll come across Darth Maul at that point. It's, but, it's, it's the Filoni-verse, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it, it's it is. It's Star Wars. It's actually the Filoni-verse, this stuff. Yeah. But I think I could see that really being good. And I did enjoy the the general thread of the various different episodes. I just didn't enjoy the way that they kept tying other other characters. And that that was what detracted from the overall art for me. But what about I know in your family, Star Wars is it's kind of a big thing. Dave kind of lives and breathes it a little bit. Did the boys sit down and watch it with you every week? Yes, they did. Yes, and it was, as, a, as a family, the, the three of us, I say family, my wife had nothing to do with it. Uh, but um, the, yeah, we, we sat down and we looked forward to it and, and we did watch it. And did so, they like it? Yes, they did. They did. But again, I think this is quite telling for us. The Mandalorian, we were watching that as soon as it came out. So on a, a, a Friday morning, I, I don't officially i start work at nine o'clock i can start i can log in and start at eight o'clock if i want to and most days i'm online by eight o'clock in the morning but on a friday i was i was sat down eating my breakfast watching the mandalorian whereas when the bad batch towards the middle of it when it was going through this just slight strange story arcs that that were linking to other characters i wasn't eager to go and sit down and watch it first thing in the morning instead i was quite happy to wait till the boys had finished school and came home and then we'd sit down and watch it together later on and it, it wasn't the same eagerness to watch it if that makes sense yeah and i think um jedi council listeners will not be surprised to know that there is a jedi council whatsapp group where we talk star wars and i think at the beginning we were all quite excited about the bad batch but and i can't put words into other people's mouths because they're not here but it slowly tapered away from, oh, I've got to watch it in the morning to, oh, I'll watch it at lunchtime, maybe in the evening. I'll get to it at the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's it's an interesting one. I mean, will I go back and watch it one day? Probably. Does it kick into something more for me? Yes. I'm really not enjoying modern Star Wars. And I've made that clear from live responses to the last film rise of skywalker to i've got the most problems with the mandalorian um didn't particularly enjoy the last series of 
of Clone Wars. Um, I'm I struggle. I'm struggling with my Star Wars fandom right now. Um, when Marvel comes out, for example, and I don't love Marvel the way that I do Star Wars, I'm so excited by what's happening with you know Scarlet Witch with what Loki. I thought was a brilliant. Um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier loved. Went to the cinema, saw um, Black Widow. Not the greatest for me, but I know you really enjoyed it, Dave. Um, I'm looking forward to the Ten Rings at some point, getting to see that. I don't have the same excitement for Star Wars right now because for me, it's been disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Um, and that's a. I, I don't know if I'm alone in that. I imagine I'm not. But it's kind of depressing for me. And so I'm really glad that some people really enjoy all this era. Like, I'm really glad people get a lot out of it. But I'm not... Apart from the High Republic, I'm not feeling a massive amount of goodwill or love towards Star Wars right now. Which is a shame. It is. Because it makes it harder to get on these podcasts and talk about something when you don't love it. You, it, I mean, it's super easy to talk about the original trilogy for me or the prequels or indeed yeah. Clone Wars up until, you know, they cancelled it. it. Maybe even Rebels. Super easy for me to talk about those Star Wars. But since then, I personally think there's been a decline in quality, a huge decline in care, thought, imagination, and it's formulaic and boring and not thought provoking and doesn't raise questions for me and that just makes it another tv show and that's not what star wars should be i don't think that's a rant i think that's a sad outpouring of grief um but that's how i feel dave i can sympathize with quite a bit of that and I can understand what you're saying. I, I I have still had excitement out of Star Wars where it's not quite struck a chord with you. So I, I loved, absolutely loved Rogue One. For yeah. me, it's one of the best Star Wars movies that have ever been made. Um, similarly, I loved Solo. Um, whether it was a story that needed to be told, I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to debate that. But I really enjoyed it. Again, it worked. It, it had the right sense of humour, the right tone. Rogue One was a slightly more gritty, slightly more. It, it was almost like Star Wars had grown up and it was it was justifiably a 12 version of the U Star Wars that I grew up with. So, so those two movies for me are shining in the last few years. Since Solo. I'd seen a decline. I, I would agree with you that um, Bad Batch has been a bit of a disappointment. It could have been so much better. It was set. And again, it's the fact that Star Wars have got this love affair with keep revisiting the same era, the same people, almost a fear of trying something new, which is why I applaud the High Republic so much. Um and it, I don't think it's delivered yet, um, Bad Batch. Hopefully, seasons two and, and plus might might well do. 
but it's not as strong as Rebels was. Rebels was something new. It was something fresh. It was something something exciting in a very different corner of an established area uh, of Star Wars. Um, I won't even talk about the sequel trilogy at the moment. Um, the Mandalorian, again, it has great promise. There's been some great um, development of brand new characters, but I, I think it was held back in season two by just introducing so many pre-existing characters rather than just letting it breathe for what it was with the characters it already had. It didn't need the entire cast of the Clone Wars to turn up um, just to make it good. Um so I'm, I'm I'm torn. I'm, I I can sympathise with what you're saying there, and I I do think that's what's led to the apathy, which is why we've not been as vocal as we we have been previously. We're not as active on social media as we have been. We're not as um, doing as many podcasts as we have done previously, and and that even goes down to to Alex, who amongst all of us is definitely the biggest fan of Disney as a as an entity and the biggest supporter of Disney and will often um defend Disney against you or myself when, when we're defender. he is the Disney defender, yes. Um so even Alex isn't as available as we would all like to be to do these podcasts. And and I would say that that's telling as well. Um, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but I think I think that we're all suffering a little bit of we want a little bit more of a brighter future for Star Wars. And and it, it depresses me to some extent that we watch Marvel continuously for the last 10 years. Yes, you get you get the odd the odd movie that might not be quite as good as the others. But for 10 years, they've been hitting it out of the... I hate Americanisms, so I'm going to use one. They've been hitting it out of the park repeatedly, year after year. The fans go back year after year. They've now launched on Disney+, Plus, and they've released three excellent TV shows mm-hmm. with um, Scarlet Witch with the um, Falcon Winter Soldier and with Loki. Three fantastic series. Now, they're, they're using the existing characters. I get that. But only one existing character per per story arc or, or a couple that are, that are the key characters. The rest of the characters are all brand new. And, OK, they're drawing upon Marvel Comics and lots of, of crossover from the comics, but Star Wars can do the same. And it just depresses me that you've got Kevin Feige and his team just with a cohesive, coherent, structured story that they want to tell. And they've done it over a decade with what must be now 30 movies. It's got to be 30 movies or somewhere near near to that, plus movie quality TV shows. and. Why can't Star Wars do that? What is Star Wars lacking that is preventing them from doing that level of quality, sustained quality and consistency and storylines that tie into each other and don't disagree with each other? And I, I just don't understand why Disney can't do that with with one of its its tentpole brands whilst letting the other one 
just be a phenomenal success. Really interesting that you you bring up Kevin Feige as well. Sorry, I want to go back on several of your points you made there. I was watching the original, I call them the original because of my age, but the Tobey Maguire Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And when I saw his name as a producer on that, I was. So, I was I was like, what? I, I had no idea he'd been involved with Marvel back at that point in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. So even back then, he was getting a feel for it. And I think, and I, I love that, that phrase you used earlier, Dave, about... Sorry, you mean Spider-Man when you were saying Tobey Maguire? Yeah. Yes, you said Star Wars. Sorry. Oh, Spider-Man. Sorry, me there. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Spider-Man, yeah, the original Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire. But you you made that point about allowing things to breathe or allowing people to not be spoon-fed and use their imagination. And I think in the modern world, there is too much spoon-feeding and there is not enough imagination. And there is not enough time given to allow, even in politics, there's no time to breathe, to stop, to think, to analyse to construct a proper argument. It's reaction, who shouts loudest gets the sound bites. Yeah. And I feel like in Star Wars, that that is true. You, it doesn't have time to breathe, to percolate, to grow. It's crash, bang, wallop, onto the next thing. Crash, bang, wallop, what's the next episode? Who's the character of the week? What's the big action sequence this time? And like, I mean, Star Wars has always had great action. You know, it's always had great action. But it had philosophy and it had um, politics in a different way. And it just it just doesn't have it anymore. It just doesn't have it. And and I think it doesn't it's not allowed to breathe. It's not allowed to treat its viewers like intelligent grown-ups or intelligent youths or intelligent children who can come to an opinion or conclusion themselves without it all being put into them. Spoon fed. I know you use that. The, the Marvel TV shows are primes examples of that. They're, they're, they're exploring morality so well across all three TV shows um, about what love means, about what duty means. Mm-hmm. Race. And, uh, race, yes. But displaced peoples. Yeah. It is such so cleverly constructed, but doesn't feel out of place with what Marvel is. Or even I do want to talk about the fourth series, What If, in and if you wouldn't mind a quick second. But even if you yeah. look at Loki, the character at the end of the Loki TV series is almost unidentifiable with as we found him in the original four film. Mm. And his character has been allowed to grow, to breathe, to change, to be the big bad, to find a sense of morality, to know thyself through many different Lokis, because there are hundreds of them. To fall in love with himself. (laughs) A bit of (laughs) self-love. But the point being is, they've taken chances with that character, and it doesn't feel to me forced at all. Well, Star Wars often feels forced. And sorry, to go to the What If series, which I find fascinating, it's it's a really clever way to use established characters that are loved, but mm. not degrade them, not make them look stupid. Yeah. Not make them a deadbeat dad. No. Not make them someone who chucks away a lightsaber. 
you know, if those were if those what happened in the sequel trilogy were in a what if, I think I'd be more up for it, to be honest, because I knew it wasn't the actual storyline. But unfortunately, the what if of Marvel is the storyline of Star Wars. They've taken those characters and they've done things to them, which none of us could have imagined. But they've what? But the What If series in Marvel has allowed them to do it, but in a safe space. In a, this isn't going to affect the timeline you know and love. Yes. Why? Why did Star Wars feel that it had to do that to the original trilogy characters? Why did it have to do that? Well, to, to be fair, I mean, the, the, the problems with what, what Lucasfilm... I'll say Lucasfilm rather than Disney, because as far as we're aware, this was controlled by Lucasfilm and Lucasfilm were allowed to do it this way. It wasn't the fact that Disney told them they had to do this. From what we understand and from what we've been we've been we've seen, this was this was Lucasfilm's own decisions to to go down this route. And I sort of understand where the original thought of this came from because it was a case of we know how big the original trilogy characters are. We know how much love there is for Luke, for Han, and for Leia. We know how much passion people have for those characters. And so we thought, we, as in Lucasfilm, we thought we will make sure that they're still part of the story because we want to re-engage with those fans. We want to grab those fans and really pull them back into Star Wars. And, And I fully understand that and fully appreciate it. What they then did with the characters, and and this is up for debate, and I'm certain there are just as many people who loved what they did with the characters as those who of us who may question some of the decisions that were made with those characters. But for me, what it felt like was that to 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 build up the next generation of Star Wars heroes, which I understand as well, because it's a case of Star Wars has to move forwards. They can't be reliant on a bunch of 60 or 70 year old characters anymore or, or, or um, actors and actresses. They need to be reliant upon a, a new blood of, of generation of 20 something year old actors who can drive the story forward. So I get that as well. I fully understand and I fully appreciate that the Star Wars universe has to move forwards and I embrace that and I really want them to do that but you don't build up your your new heroes by deliberately undermining what had happened before and I've said this before I I cover I'm like a broken record sometimes but for me it felt like each of the main trilogy heroes were a failure in their own lifetime. You had Leia, who had this grand vision for what the new Republic would be, a sense of re-engaging and bringing back democracy, bringing back a, a Republic where everybody's voice was heard and is equal. She she had this passion for, for bringing this back. And within her lifetime, she saw the entire Republic destroyed and ripped apart by a, a, a resurrected empire, for want of a better word. You had... Luke 
who went from being this idealistic hero who would stand up to the darkest and the deepest fear within the the Star Wars universe. He stood up to the Emperor and said, no, your majesty, you have failed, for I am a Jedi like my father before me. That is Luke, not some failed hermit who was prepared to strike down his nephew because of a fear he had that his nephew made fall to the dark side. That's not Luke. And then finally, you've got Han. Han, who went from being a solo, he went from being looking after his own skin. He never really cheated people. He always did things by the book and he'd do things as honestly as he could do, making his way. Yes, he would cut corners. Yes, he would he would try and, and, and wriggle out of the repercussions if things went wrong. But intrinsically, he was a good man. His character art was to see him develop from that to become someone who understood what family meant, what it meant to be part of something bigger than oneself. And then we saw him in in the later movies as this broken, a cheat, a scoundrel, an actual scoundrel who does cheat, who does con people out of money, who is on 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 the take as opposed to to just doing doing what he does who ran away from his wife after his child went wrong rather than trying to pull his family back together each of those main character arcs was destroyed by the new new trilogy um and for me i find that irresponsible by lucasfilm would have worked better in a what if series i think we can agree it would it would for me totally sorry that was a rant (laughs) it's absolutely fine it's just you and i tonight it's just you and i no one else to stop us dave which brings (laughs) us though i think that brings us on to star wars visions um so star wars visions will be a series of animated short films celebrating the star wars galaxy through the lens of the world's best anime creators The anthology collection will bring 10 fantastic visions from several of the leading Japanese anime studios, offering a fresh and diverse cultural perspective to Star Wars. That was Kathleen Kennedy announcing the project on Disney Investor Day 2020. I'm sure that people in the council will be delighted by this, looking forward to it. Can't wait for it. I'm not going to watch it. I, I don't need to be told. Much like Forces of Destiny, I don't need what I know reimagined. I've seen it. George Lucas made it. It's the best possible version of it. End of discussion. I don't need it tampered with. I don't need it altered. I don't need it changed. But here we go again. Star Wars visions. Reimagining. Through anime. Because we know Resistance was a great anime show. Can anyone mm. remember it? Probably not. Dave. I, am I being too negative? Hey, again, I, I'm I'm sharing some of your frustration here. It's it's a case of you. I I would love to see a brand new anime version of Star Wars that is not a reimagining of an existing story. That was a brand new area of Star Wars, a brand new period in Star Wars, brand new characters in Star Wars done in anime. 
and and to, for there to be multiple different streams of multiple different studios producing multiple different versions of anime Star Wars, all set in different areas of Star Wars, all reimagining different aspects of Star Wars. My fear is that we're going to see a number of different anime, all of established storylines with a slight twist in them, a, a slight um, Japanese-ness interpretation of an existing story. And do we want that? Well, I'm, I'm assuming we do because there's money being pumped into it and there's obviously some people who are looking forward to it. But do something new. I Don't mean, keep hashing. Apparently it comes out in 12 days, which I wasn't aware of until right this second. Um, September yeah. 22nd and they've got this thing called Ronin as part of it and it's already a novel I don't know if you've got a copy Dave or if you've been there is, again there is a, a novel I am fully aware that there is a novel um, thanks to our friends at Del Rey <laughs> um, so Ronin uh, yeah. by Emma Maiko Candon uh, released apologies. on October 12th October 12th apologies for I've just absolutely butchered that name um a mysterious former Sith wanders the galaxy in this stunning original novel inspired by the world of the soon-to-be-released Star Wars Visions animated series on Disney+. Plus. Now that, for me, sounds fantastic, and I'm really looking forward to that novel. Really looking forward to that novel. I love anime. I love Japanese culture. I, I, I love Japanese movies. So I'm looking forward to that because that is a brand new and a completely different type of story. That is what I'm hoping for from the visions. Okay. But on Wikipedia, it says, sorry, it is based off the vision short film, The Jewel. So that's obviously an episode that's coming up. It focuses on the Jedi and Sith, but with an, an alternate history pulled from the Japanese lore. Fill your bags. Go enjoy that. Doesn't interest me at all. I know exactly what the Jedi and Sith lore is. I don't need another one. Go for it. Enjoy it. Yeah. Go for it. And and enjoy yeah. it. Like, really, I want people to enjoy it. I'm not being sarcastic. I want people to go away. I want people to enjoy it. I just... Like, do you... It's like, it's almost like a what if. I do understand it, that. It is almost like a what if. But it it's is. playing with the whole concept of Jedi and Sith, which is central to Star Wars. It's not doing it to a couple of characters. No. It's doing it to mm. the main bit. I just don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. Dave, mm. bring some happiness to this. Tell me what <laughs> I'm wrong. I'm sure I'm wrong. No, 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 no. Um, the happiness I'm bringing is that there is another High Republic novel due out within the next five months. There you go. That that is that is happiness indeed. Now that I'm is. aware time is marching on, but there is one last thing I want to discuss with you tonight, Dave, which I think does tie into everything we've been saying. And I know that many of you will disagree with me on this, but I don't think it'll come as a surprise to you. I think there's too much Star Wars. I think that after seeing the Disney Plus shows, I would prefer it to go back to being one film every two years in the cinema. 
I think that's where Star Wars belongs. I think Star Wars is a cultural event that's been taken away by having so much of it. And the thing is, it's not like what's being added is making it hugely better. I think that would be different, like we said about Marvel. It just isn't. So I'd rather cut all the noise, cut it all, and allow these great teams of writers, there must be some out there, to focus on one film every two years and make it brilliant. Make it brilliant. Give me 90 minutes of pure cinema bliss rather than 16 episodes of mediocre. I didn't think I'd be saying that a few years ago. I was particularly looking forward to one film a year. But I think there's too much Star Wars. I just think there's too much of it. I, I, I like the books. Keep the books. Keep the comics. But with live action and, and, and cartoons, I've got to the point where I'm not excited by it. I'm excited by the Obi-Wan series. Really excited by that. But that should be a film. Apparently it's going to be as short as a film. Four episodes, allegedly. Why is it not a film? Two-part film? I don't mind. But I think... I don't want your Dark Ages back, Dave. But I want less. <laughs> I think less is more. Um, it's quite a strong opinion, I know. And I think many people would disagree. And they completely right to. But Dave... You want more Star Wars, right? You want the same level we've got right now. Yeah? I want more. I want more. But I also want what you want. I also want what you want. But it's not I, possible. I, I can see what you're saying. I, the, the problem we've had is that since 2012... We've not had the promises fulfilled that we expected, let's say. We've we've had lacklustre. The films have the films have done well at the cinema. And I'm not I'm not following that other than Solo, which was no fault of actually of Solo. It was the fault of The Last Jedi, to be fair. The films have not done have, have done very well. The 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 Temple movies, the the three trilogy movies, they've done well at the cinema. But they've not done well in outside of the cinema. They've not done well when it comes to DVD sales or, or disc sales. They've not done well when it's come to collectibles linked to them. Not as well as, as the the prequels, not as well as the, the original trilogy, not as well as um, the Clone Wars. So that then begs the question. It's obviously, it's doing well in the cinema and it's catching the attention of the, the mass audience but it's potentially not engaging and creating the cultness that the original Star Wars did do. So it's, it's for me, it's failing somewhere. And, and I, I think I've explained what my views of that was. It was the fact that it was, it, it, it was done in the best of intentions, but it, it was let down by execution. Um, and then the TV shows they've been good rebels i thought was fantastic really enjoyed rebels the mandalorian season one was better than season two um the bad batch has been a bit lackluster there's been there's been points of of good um and resistance we will just just not even discuss um 
But at the same time, and I'll, I'll say it again, at the same time, since 2012, we've had somewhere in the region of 20 Marvel movies that on the whole have been very well received, have done phenomenally well at the box office, that have whetted the appetite for the fans to come back and watch three movies a year, some years. The, the box office tickets are still there. People are still crowding into cinemas to watch Marvel movie after Marvel movie. We've had three fantastic TV shows on Disney Plus this year already. Four, if you include the what ifs, which which are a completely different take on it. If if one area of Disney can do that, why can't the other area of Disney? I would love for Star Wars to release an amazing movie once every two years. I would love that, but they're not even managing that at the moment. The, the promise was there. It's just not been delivered. And I don't know why not. I don't know why. With, with the exception of, of Rogue One and Solo, which for me were the two tentpole movies. And one of and that was every two years. As far as I was concerned, the, 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 the main trilogy, which is where Disney was pinning its hopes on, fell short. And and I don't know why. I don't know what the the what have they not captured the essence of? Do they have to bring back uh, um, the director for um, Rogue One, Gareth, uh, to to do more more of his style of Star Wars? Hey, Dave, Dave, can I just interrupt you there? Let's not forget they rewrote some of that film because they didn't like what that director did. Yeah, I know. They brought know. someone in because they, they didn't like it. It was they asked for a war movie, he gave them it, and they didn't like it. Yeah. But then you also look at Solo, again, plagued with problems in the fact that the, the, the original directors were were effectively fired. You then Miller Miller and Lord, wasn't it? So they were fired. You then had um Ron Howard came on and did a, a phenomenal job as far as I'm concerned. Um, as far as far as I know, he discarded a lot of the content that had been previously done. There was rumours on set that um, Aaron, um, the, the main character, the main actor who was playing Solo, was struggling with being able to act, and that there was a, a coach brought in to to brush him up. I don't know if that was true or not, but it was it was plagued by problems. It went from being targeted to have a very low level release at Cannes Film Festival. And then a month before it was due to be released, what I think happened was that the the execs actually saw the final version of the movie and they were blown away by it. And it was a case of, no, this now needs red carpet down Hollywood Boulevard. We're going to put a full-size Millennium Falcon in. We're going to bring in Harrison Ford to endorse this movie because it is so good. And, And all of a sudden, the entire Lucasfilm... Uh, marketing budget was thrown at trying to get this movie where it should have been targeted six months before and and that's why it failed at the cinemas because it, it was too little too late it should have been they should have had more faith in it sooner but those two movies both of them played with problems both of them that had sections of it that were redone or rewritten or or, or had to be massaged because of issues and yet the pair of them were so much better stories than what were given for the sequels. 
And I, I don't understand why. I, I honestly, generally don't understand why. I think as well, we're entering an interesting time in terms of when I found out J.J. Abrams was coming back for Rise of Skywalker and then I saw his writing team, I think they were behind the DC flops, I had a very bad feeling about that film. Um, now, it's going to be interesting to see what happens next. We've got Taika Waititi doing the next film, who has directed The Mandalorian, I thought did a really good job. I don't see four Ragnarok-type humour or the way that that was done crossing well into a Star Wars, Star Wars universe, given the benefit of the doubt, because I think he's done some great stuff. That's interesting. And I don't know if you've watched Wonder Woman 1984, Dave. Yes. I did not particularly like that film. You may have done. Me. I wasn't as good as the first. I liked the, the first film. The first was amazing. One of my favourite non-Star Wars movies. I thought it was a very good film, the first one as well. Didn't like the second one. And of course, the director of that, um, Patty Jenkins, yes. is directing Rogue Squadron. Yes. Yeah. If we get more of Wonder Woman 1984, geez. Yeah, I, I would say that was not as strong a movie as as the original Wonder Woman movie was. No, not nowhere near as good. It had its moments again, but yeah, nowhere near. I I just I don't understand why it's so hard to deliver good Star Wars content and. But consistently, that's what it's lacking. Yeah, I agree. But that, so I think maybe when the full council are back in session, um, it will be a good discussion to have. I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who wants less Star Wars. Pretty sure that. I, I want more so long as it's good. I want less because I know they can't do more. That's good. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and on that, Dave, um, I'd like to hear your final thoughts of our first podcast in many months since May, I believe. Sorry about that. Mm, so am I. I've, yeah, apologies to everybody. Um, final thoughts. I am so looking forward to the books that are being released okay. in the coming We've we've also we've we've not touched upon the final um, instalment of the Thrawn trilogy, so um, that we've we've got um, the Chiss Ascendancy novels, um, so the Thrawn Ascendancy Volume Three or Book Three, Lesser Evil by Timothy Zahn is out on the 16th of November 2021. The fate of the Chiss Ascendancy hangs in the balance as the in the epic final, oh sorry, in the epic finale of the Star Wars Throne Ascendancy trilogy from best-selling author Timothy Zahn. So we've got, for me, a very bright future of books coming. And I'm really, really looking forward to those novels. Um, Lucasfilm are doing some phenomenal novels at the moment. The comic book series, again, there's the odd, odd strange 
comic but i would actually say again that the high republic novel uh, comics by kevin scott again uh, are just brilliant and one thing that's really good about them is that they actually tie into the books really well and again this this comes down to this continuity this consistency having a single writing group who are looking after the high republic who are working closely together who are talking who actually know what the overall story and where they're going to go with it that's why the high republic is so tight and so well put together and I'm really enjoying that. I, I bring on volume three by Claudia Gray. I'm so looking forward to it. I cannot wait to read that final volume. That's my final thought. I'll tell you why we didn't bring up Fron. It's because I've not read the second book and it's my reading on the next cruise, which is in a week's time. So Dave, a couple of weeks time, you and I, we can discuss that book. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it is a very different novel to volume one, but I really enjoyed it in different ways so my final 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 thought is um well really i know what you want to hear you want to hear how the uh poll's going on don't you yeah (laughs) so with an hour and 24 minutes gone of this 24 hour poll a huge 32 people have now responded to it dave how many have said yes as a percentage that wookies what will shed their hair I'm going to go 55%. Dave, are you using the force? No, no, go on. Are you using your phone? No, I'm not. I'm not. I deliberately didn't, actually. It's down. 53%. Oh, there you go. It's my inner Jedi. It's my inner Jedi. Let's test this more. Dave, how many say no? I'm 55. I'm going... 31%. 31%. 28? Oh! <laughs> so I'm not going to ask you the last one, because if you couldn't do any maths, you can subtract from 100 the other two. But it's uh, So it's 19%. But Dave, closer than I'd like. But so far, the right decision is being made. I'm sure we can agree on that. Yes, yes. Wookie's malt. Wookie's malt. That's what you should take away. That should be the... That's definitely going to be the... The title for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I upload it so you can't stop that, Dave. Um, no, <laughs> I, I will use that title on our website as well. Excellent. So, with that, we are the Jedi Council. Well, two of us out of five. Um, <laughs> uh, and you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. There are a few videos kicking about on YouTube. We're available on every single podcast you can think of from Spotify to Amazon, believe it or not, to Apple. And of course, if you ask Alexa to play the Jedi Council, she'll do it for you. So with that, Dave, look forward to speaking to you soon. And for everyone, may the Force be with you. The Force will be with you always.